0: Terms and conditions apply. This is the Chicago City Cast with Danny Burke, presented by Bett Rivers.
1: The NFL season has concluded, folks. How do we feel about it? Are you still in shambles from last night if you back the Bengals? Are you celebrating because you trusted Matt Stafford, Sean McVay, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald and Company, or... Are you kind of torn a little bit in between because you laid four with the Rams and Johnny Hecker screwed you? On that botched extra point. Well, you could be a little bit of both. And uh, that's kind of how I'm sitting right now. We're going to recap all of our action that we had, not only from our picks here on the Chicago City cast, but the ones I dished out on my show, Rush Hour. I am Danny Burke, your host. Happy Monday. A good day to get your week started off with as we conclude this season. Look back at it, look back at the game yesterday, see how everything went, and just talk about some of the issues that are still making the rounds. Around the Twitter sphere and really national media in terms of the referees, the penalties that should or should not have been called and what to look forward to for next year and watching that game and well, how is that going to translate to the Chicago Bears and what we want to see as fans? out of that team. We'll discuss plenty of that to begin. Thanks here on this Monday edition of the Chicago City cast presented by Bet Rivers. And then also we will preview tonight's Bulls and Spurs game. And then the Blackhawks go on the road in a tough environment to face the Winnipeg Jets. So plenty to discuss, but let's begin recapping Super Bowl 56. Ladies and gentlemen, I ended up fairly well Um, overall props, I wish I did a little bit better, but I mean, we all wish we could do better on a betting standpoint and hit them all, but that's just really the way it goes. So overall, starting from Friday though, Friday night, we did, uh, we did some solid damage with our picks. We had the bulls money line against the Timberwolves that came through. And then in hockey, I don't know if I talked about it here, but on rush hour, we had the jets and the stars over. Five and a half total goals. That one came home as well. So we started two and zero on our weekend, and then going into Sunday. Also, I hope you were able to catch some of Vincent Super Bowl coverage. Femia Abebefe and myself kicked it off at 7 a.m. Central Time, and we rolled all the way through, and it was just great. The interview with Billy Walters, check it out on VEASAN's YouTube. More content at VEASAN Live on Twitter, and then naturally VEASAN.com. But it was great seeing all the guests, all the top-notch people in the industry, and getting all the different betting perspectives, because that's what it's all about, baby. And it was a blast seeing the production team crush it all throughout the course of the day. But our bets that went through... Um, Just starting with the overall game, I did lay the four with the Rams, assuming this line wasn't going to come down, and it didn't, right? It only went more so in favor of Los Angeles, and we talked about two things. We talked about, if you like the Bengals, every Super Bowl where the dog has been catching under seven points and they've covered, they've ended up winning. Not the case yesterday, but if you had four in the hook you covered with taking the points with Cincinnati. However, I was on the other side with the Rams laying four. They win 23 to 20. I personally did throw a couple of bets on the money line just in case something stupid like that happened. And what stupid event happened is Johnny Hecker mishandling the extra point like are you kidding me at this stage in the game that almost screwed you and it didn't screw you for the game per se but it screwed all of us backers with the rams minus four from at least coming out with a push johnny Hacker, you have made the you know s word list i'm not exactly sure if i could say that word on this podcast if i'm being completely honest but you know what i'm talking about hacker what the heck man i didn't even mean to say that now that just sounded stupid but what the hell man that's a little bit better I I get it's the biggest stage of the game, but you're supposed to be one of the biggest athletes out there. They use you in special teams for fake punts, throwing dimes all the time, and he can't handle a snap. Come on, man. That one stunk. It it did sting a little bit, but it is what it is because the Rams did get the job done at the end of the day, and that's really what I wanted them to do. And the bets that I made on the money line, at least for me personally, kind of helped cross that out. And hopefully you're able to get something else if you had Rams minus four as well. Some of the other bets that we had, Jalen Ramsey over three and a half total tackles plus assists are in that conversation. So we got four. He had three solo, one assist. We came home with that. Man, Ramsey kind of got burned a few times. Now, the offensive pass interference was very blatant in replay, and clearly that one wasn't completely his fault. But aside from that, wasn't playing the best game he's played. That's, he does get over three and a half total tackles. We cashed that at minus 134. Then the Rams total first downs over 20 in the hook, minus 125. Oh my God, this was one of my favorite plays actually going into it. They only had 18 first downs. And if they would have played somewhat of a normal game, and I'm going to make excuses here, so bear with me, but they didn't have Tyler Higby, big contributor in the tight end region to where the Bengals have had struggle defending, struggles defending, which is opposing tight ends. OBJ goes down early. That was a bummer for him. But hey, at least he made an impact and at least he got his ring. And bad play calling from the Rams. I mean, the second and shorts, McVay's trying to run the ball every single time and they're just getting stuffed. And he continued to do it late in the game when it clearly was not working. That prevented us, in my opinion, from the Rams going over 20 and a half first downs. Only needed three more. Only needed three more. So that was kind of a bummer. It is what it is. But we come through with the Kevin Huber longest punt over 52 and a half yards at minus 129. This was comical because. This bet in itself is just hysterical. Me sweating out a punting prop, like it's one thing to sweat out field goal props, which we started doing more toward the latter half of this season, but then adding a punting prop, like I'm the one guy sweating out at the Super Bowl party. How long this ki- this punter is gonna kick it? Everyone's like, dude, what are you talking about? But obviously, you know, a lot of my friends that are standing, they're sweating it out too. We're like, can we get a long pun here? Long pun here? Let's go, Huber! Come on, baby! Everyone was cheering for it alongside me, and uh, it took six punts. But the guy finally got there, 54, he finally had a boot. Dude, he had punts that were like only 42, 44 yards. Like, what are you doing? It's basically a dome. Whatever, he got over it. We'll take it. Huber, longest punt over 52 and a half yards minus 129. Was definitely a sweat. Joe Mixon under 65 and a half rushing yards minus 125. We got a great number here two weeks ago, I guess, at this point. Because it went down to like. I don't know, what was it, like 55, 54, maybe 57, I don't know. It got down in the 50s, so it got the best of the number. He had 15 carries for 72 rushing yards. He had a couple of breakout runs that really put him over the top, and that was a bummer to see, but uh, I was feeling pretty good about it, but he had two long runs. One of them was 14 yards, but overall does get over it. Not by a lot, but I wish we got that one. And another one we did get, though, Bengals, total successful. First half field goals over a half minus 143. McPherson came home in the first half, knocked one down in the second half as well. But we did get that one solidified at the beginning of the game. So McPherson made a field goal in every first half this postseason. Then Super Bowl MVP. Man, am I salty about this one. So I had Cooper Cup six to one. Okay. So I'm not sulking in sadness completely. Had a nice little payday from Cooper Cup, got us to making some positive money overall with this game. But I really thought Aaron Donald had a case, and I really thought he was going to get it because we had Aaron Donald at 18 to 1 to win Super Bowl MVP. Okay, so you look at this with Aaron Donald, what he had, two sacks, like four total tackles. Cooper Cup had an outstanding game. I mean, he had eight catches, 10 targets, 92 receiving yards, and two touchdowns. So here's the thing. I get why Cooper Cup got it, and I wasn't rooting against him, don't get me wrong. But when it started getting toward the end and Aaron Donald was making more of an impact, I'm like, all right, I really actually hope they give it to him instead, naturally. I mean, that's a $12 difference from 6-1 to one to 18-1. But Donald was disrupting this offense on damn near every single play, as he does so often. In that last play of the game, he was the man who got to Joe Burrow, forced him to spin and chuck up that ball. If he ended up getting a full sack on that play, I think he gets the Super Bowl MVP. I really do. And I still think the argument could be made that he should have gotten it regardless. Should have gotten it regardless, excuse me. Donald is the most dominant player in the NFL. So you have that narrative going for him. You knew the offensive line was brutal for Cincinnati going into this game and that he could be a big factor because he moved down from as high as, I don't know, probably 20 to one to 11 to one with his MVP odds. And again, he had the big play at the end against Burrow to end the game. He had the tackle against P Ryan to pull him back all that strength, magnificent. And then he had two sacks. He came alive in the second half, no doubt about it. The thing and the reason why Cooper Cup wins it—I mean, he get two touchdowns. That's tremendous. He come alive in the second half. You were limited for a majority of the game, no doubt about it. And if OBJ is still in the game, maybe Cooper Cup doesn't get two touchdowns. Who knows? The Bengals don't commit penalties. Who knows? But Cooper Cup had the narrative, and a big reason I really love this bet. He had the narrative of almost being the regular season MVP. Wasn't going to win it because he wasn't a quarterback, but he was breaking records and having a historical season. So going into this game, if he was going to get close to 100 receiving yards and more than one touchdown, he was probably going to get it. And the reason Stafford didn't get it, folks, the two interceptions, plain and simple. You knew it wasn't going to be him after he threw that second one because at the end of the day, you needed someone to help him out, and Cooper Cup was that guy. And so was Aaron Donald. Absolutely. I think that, and and it's me being salty, so I guess I'm trying to be objective. But at the end of the day, and this is what we have talked about a lot, like if it comes down to the wire, Cooper Cup will have the advantage because I think a lot of these writers recognize that the Rams wouldn't be here if it weren't for Cooper Cup. Yeah, same thing with Aaron Donald, but Cooper Cup was just insane this whole season. The most consistent player. So I get it again. I'm not going to be sad. It would just be a lot better if we had the 18 to one beggars can't be choosers, but I'm a little salty. Donald at 18 to one didn't get out of They interviewed him first right after the game. So I was like, yep, everyone's thinking it was him. He's got to get the MVP. And then they hand it to cup. I'm like, ah, oh, cause everyone knew I had the 18 to one. And, Man, that would have been nice. But again, not going to salt too much. Still had a nice winner with Cooper Cup at 6-1. to one. But let me know what you had. If you were in the same boat, uh, at Burke 5 on Twitter, tweet me. Let me know how you ended out. We had a pretty good day overall, so I'll take it. And because also I had some friends who were diehard on the Bengals, and it's not anything against Joe Burrow and the Bengals, but it was slowly becoming the public dog. And then it was I was in the minority of my friend group because everybody wants to see cool Joe, you know, Joe Cool, Joe Burr, you know, do dominant things out there, win national championship, and then win a Super Bowl. I get it. Easy guy to root for. But at the end of the day, what came to fruition was the experience And the chiseled adversity that we talked about with the Rams coming from behind a Matt Stafford special going down at the lowest point possible, letting up a touchdown immediately in the second half, throwing an interception on the ensuing drive, but holding them to a field goal. They get a touchdown game over holding them to a field goal was huge. OK, and not only that, then just consistently stopping them afterward, not having Tyler Higby, not having successful groundwork in the second half, not having Odell Beckham Jr., having Cooper Cup be limited, but finding a way to get him the ball and Stafford still going out there being aggressive. That is a testament to this Rams team, them getting up to the Super Bowl, like I talked about so much, them building up there, realizing the failure, experiencing that themselves and knowing it's not you don't get flustered here, right? We've been in the spot. Now it's our time to overcome it. The Bengals couldn't do anything offensively after that interception. They couldn't. They absolutely could not. Aaron Donald was disrupting. Von Miller had some good action. And they did what they needed to do overall in the secondary. Joe Burrow was rushed, right? And that's what it came down to, what we all predicted, that offensive line being an issue. And in the first half, they were solid, right? Solid enough. Second half, Burrow had to sling it right away. Tyler Boyd dropped the pass because he heard footsteps coming. That was a big play that's not talked about a lot. So a lot of things the Bengals could have done better, and they will do better, adjusting that offensive line, improving it. But again, that adversity that the Rams dealt with from going to the Super Bowl several years back, experiencing that failure, Sean McVay uh, over-preparing, but you could argue that the Rams won in spite of him because of his bad play calling. The last two games, he was suspect for sure. But them, and I get a majority of these players weren't on that team for Sam. And you look at OBJ, you look at Matt Stafford. OBJ dealing with Cleveland, dealing with the Giants. I know he was out early, but he got a touchdown. Matt Stafford dealing with being a Detroit line for his majority of his career. He's played from behind in so many games. I mean, the leader in currently the NFL's players um, from comeback from behind fourth quarter victories, right? And current active players. And he did it again. The man did it again. So they were built for this moment. They countered the talent that the Bengals threw out there. Jamar Chase had a solid game. T. Higgins had a pretty good game. Joe Mixon had a solid game. Burrow was fine. Burrow was definitely flustered in the first half. You could tell a little bit. And here's the thing. Aside from all of that. So we've kind of gone over the game and whatnot. The Bengals offensive line. You... Look, I was someone who thought they should have taken Sewell before Chase. And then during the season hand up, I'm like, all right, I'm wrong. Jamar Chase was the guy. But you can't still be making the argument that they should have done that looking at this game and how bad that offensive line was. Because you don't make it this far without Jamar Chase in the first place. You don't get this much production offensively in the Super Bowl without Jamar Chase in the first place. Yes, the offensive line did hinder you, and that needs to be improved upon. And if you had somewhat of a competent offensive line, maybe you win this game. But you couldn't have both. It was one or the other. So, yes, the offensive line was an issue. But at the same time, you don't get here without Jamar Chase. So don't be the person that says, oh, you should have taken Sewell. And I don't think there's that many people saying it. I just saw it a little bit on Twitter. But it's true that the offensive line was a main culprit why they lost alongside Eli Apple. Eli Apple just couldn't keep his damn mouth shut. And you knew, you knew it was going to come back to bite him because he's not a good enough player to be saying what he was saying to the Chiefs players, to the city of New Orleans and all the other cities. Like, dude, what are you talking about? Just shut up, keep your head down, and then talk trash after the Super Bowl, not on a game-to-game basis. You could talk all the smack you want. It doesn't matter until you get the results. Winning the AFC Championship isn't the final result you desire. That's why all the Chiefs players came back on Twitter and chirped him. They said, yeah, okay, he beat us, but look at this ring, right? He got what he deserved. Talking smack, he got smacked right back at you. He let up, what, two touchdowns in Cooper Cup, had penalty after penalty. He couldn't hold his jock strap, right? So that was funny and fun to see Eli Apple be a reason why they lost. It was. And even if I was rooting for the Bengals or didn't have any skin in the game, I mean, not if I was rooting for the Bengals, but if I didn't have any skin in the game, I'd be like, yeah, you get what you deserve. You can't talk all that smack and then have this happen. So that's what happened with Eli Apple. Killed the Bengals as well as the offensive line. Joe Burrow, man, I wouldn't be surprised if you find out he has a major injury. After that game, he was screaming when he got tackled. And look, the Rams dealt with injuries though too. OBJ that sucked because he looked like he was on par to have a great game if OBJ doesn't get injured and the Rams win who knows that dude may be winning Super Bowl MVP which would be insane he was as high as 30 to 1 with his odds that would have been pretty cool I'm not gonna lie but again the beatdown experience that the Rams suffered from the last Super Bowl from Stafford and the Lions from OBJ and everything he's dealt with from this season, where the Rams went in a lull, losing to the 49ers twice, losing to the Titans in a banged up team. People, including myself, discrediting, in the, uh, discrediting them. This built them for this moment to come back in the biggest stage and win the game. The youth of Cincinnati showed through. The house money they were playing with, that they were here and caught a fortunate team in Tennessee, a Raiders team that is okay, but definitely beatable, and then a Mahomes second half collapse. It didn't come through, and I don't want to make excuses again for them being there. They definitely deserved it, but it was a lightning in the bottle, man, and he showed. Their weaknesses showed when it mattered most, the offensive line. Joe Burrow getting a little bit nervous in the first half. Zach Taylor was fine overall with his play calling, right? I don't know, man, and you can't really blame the refs here. I want to talk about that next, and Sean McVay had a poorly coached game. Don't get me wrong. Worse than Taylor. I mean, Taylor wasn't even that bad, but... Here's the thing, the penalty situation. Everybody's looking at this faulty false start or what should have been a false start against the Rams when they were going into the red zone. Was it a false start? You know what? It was. Is it easier to see it in replay versus real time? That is also true. But should it have still been called? Probably. Okay. But you know what also should have been called? When T. Higgins had the face mask against Jalen Ramsey. Folks, that was blatant as hell, and that was a complete missed call. Despite not getting the false start called on the Rams, right? I think the penalty happened after that. You still could have stopped them, but the Jalen Ramsey play, that was a touchdown. Like, there wasn't a play after that, and I'm not giving credit to Ram- Like, Ramsey had a tough game. He definitely got exposed, especially at the end when Jamar Chase got that long run. But that was a missed call. And don't give me the offsides of Donald on that final play. You're, you, He wasn't. He just wasn't. And it wasn't a bad spot. And even if it was, they still would have ran the same play because he was clearly short. So I don't want to hear the bitching and moaning about the officials because they let them play for a majority of the game. And yes, a lot of flags were being thrown in that ending sequence for the Rams in the red zone. But a majority of those calls were correct. In fact, I think all of them were correct. Danny, you bet the Rams, of course you think they're all correct. They were. Look at them. Come on, man. Eli Apple was holding them. His teammates knew it. He knew it. Everybody knew it. But I will agree. The false start was missed. But you can counter that with the miss of the Jalen Ramsey who got his face mask uh, tore down, which led to a touchdown. So I think it crosses out. And overall, the officiating was fine. I get it sucks that it kind of dictated the ending sequence. But it was fine to me. And even if the Rams didn't come through and score a touch, and I'd go, you know, they had their chances. It was the right calls. So be it. And then I'm sure Rams fans would be going back, hollering about the Rams. It's just the way the world works. You lose. Oh, it was because of this, this, and that. You win. You don't say anything. You think it was a good call. But honestly, trying to be as objective as possible. I'm agreeing with you. If you're saying it was a false start, okay? Missed call. But you missed the face mask on Ramsey. So you counter that out. The other calls were called appropriately. So we'll put that the rest. The Rams were the right team to win it. They were the rightful squad. They deserved it. They earned it. They came back. Bengals, guess what? You couldn't do anything offensively when you're up seven in the second half. Figure it out yourself. Yeah, they were up seven. So figure it out yourselves. Don't blame the rest. And I'm not saying they are, but you guys had the lead. You couldn't do anything offensively because your offensive line did not show up, which we knew was going to happen in the most important time. So overall, at the end of this Super Bowl, I feel pretty solid. Uh, Personally, had not too bad of a day. I hope you ended up well. I don't know about the heads and tails for you. I lost on tails, never fails. I only throw like 20 bucks or something on that obligatory bet. And then I throw the Gatorade color like 25 bucks or something silly like that. You know, just green, lime, yellow or whatever. But it ended up being blue. So hopefully you're able to get those novelty props. Halftime show was awesome. It seems like everybody thought it was great except for people my parents' age who don't listen to that music, which I get it. They're just like, ah, I didn't really like it. Not real music. I was like, yeah, because you don't listen to those people. So all the, like the kind of millennial groups such as myself and even a little bit older, I thought it was one of the best halftime shows ever. So whatever. I had to just mention that really quick. But again, 2320, Rams get the job done. Officials did make a small impact, but it evened out in the end and the calls were correct. Holding the pass interference, all of that, but they did miss two big ones, and one was bigger than the other. The one that benefited Cincinnati, folks, because that led to a direct touchdown. The missed false start did not lead to a direct touchdown right after. Okay, the Bengals. Here's the thing everyone's like, you know, they say it every year, right? They're like, oh, we'll be back, Joe Burrow will be here plenty of times. Willie, really? do you realize how hard it is to get to a Super Bowl and then to do it repeatedly? especially right after the year you got there. Like, yes, they could build up their offensive line, but you're still in a very tough AFC North division. If the Ravens stay healthy, that's going to be tough. If Baker Mayfield somehow turns it around, I'm not trusting the Browns per se, but we just saw what the Bengals did, who had no predictions from anybody to be a great team. Doesn't mean someone else in their division or the AFC can't do it. Steelers, I mean, who the hell knows, but... My point is, it is so hard to replicate a season of success and you still didn't have the full success, right? There's a reason why Patrick Mahomes has not won it again. It's tough. And if Patrick Mahomes has been able to do it again with his weapons and his coach and Andy Reid, who's better than Zach Taylor, I'm not riding the bus to say Joe Burrow's getting back there immediately. I would rather make a bet that Joe Burrow never wins a Super Bowl Then he will win one. And that's not me being a hater. That's just understanding the reality of the National Football League. And I don't even know. I mean, the price, I'm sure on the no would be, you know, the sizable favorite for sure. And he's fun to root for. And I get it. And they have a loaded weapons. You got great receivers, Boyd Higgins, you got Uzma, and you got Jamar Chase, you got Mixon. And you've got a solid defense that can improve. And you will improve that offensive line. But again, to replicate that success, Get what you had fall your way in the postseason again. Like it's just so tough, folks. But of course you're gonna hear people saying that after the game. Oh, this won't be the only time. I'm sure we'll see him back here. Oh, we'll be here plenty of times. Yeah, people say that and a lot of people don't get back. Dan Marino never got back. Arguably the greatest quarterback to have never won a Super Bowl. It happens, folks. That's why you hear all these former players say, Man, you gotta appreciate it when you're there, because you think, oh, we'll be back. We'll be back in this moment. Seldom does it happen, though. It is such a tough league to get back there. This ain't the NBA. This ain't hockey. Hockey, you can do it. It's tough in hockey, but you can do it. Blackhawks, Lightning, it's been done. Baseball, I mean, even look at the Giants. Although that's really tough. I mean, the Cubs couldn't get back. It happens. Football is the toughest, folks. So I wouldn't be running to the bank saying, yeah, Bengals next year for sure. Let's just wait to see what happens this offseason. But props to the Bengals. The Bengals. They played a damn good game. They came back. The the start of the second half, incredible. right? You did exactly what you needed to, and I'm like, my goodness, I am screwed. The first half, I'm like, I'm having fun. Start of the second half, not having fun. Rams take the lead, having a little bit more fun, but still kind of scared about it. Donald comes through, then I had a decent amount of fun. I'm not going to lie. Hecker made it not as fun as it could have been by uh, muffling that snap, but... You know, it is what it is. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk some Bulls and Spurs preview and Blackhawks and Winnipeg Jets. And also, after watching that game last night, what does that tell you the Bears need to really just go for this offseason and aspire to do next year besides obviously win? We'll talk about that here on the Chicago City Cats presented by Bet Rivers. Bet Rivers Sportsbook wants you
0: to experience Rush Pay. When you want to cash out your winnings, you don't want to wait two days just to get the go-ahead to withdraw your money. That's why Bet Rivers created Rush Pay. With Rush
1: Pay, eighty percent of withdrawal requests are approved instantly, meaning you'll get your money faster. Why wait? Get your cash when you want it. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers Sportsbook at betrivers.com. Not valid for any participant. Of the only gambling board statewide voluntary self-exclusion program must be twenty-one years of age or older. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling one eight hundred GAMBLER one eight hundred four two six two five three seven. Okay, welcome back to the Chicago City Cast presented by Bet Rivers. Danny Burke, your host here. Remember, on Twitter, you can follow me at Danny Burke5 and my show, Rush Hour, Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time, live out of the Bet Rivers Sportsbook. I wanted to bring up one more topic, a conversation I forgot to mention in this first segment that I really just wanted to pose this question. If the Bengals ended up winning this Super Bowl, whether it was the fact that the Rams didn't score at the end or if the Bengals came back tied it one in overtime or just got a touchdown at the end, who wins the MVP for the Bengals? Who would you have as their MVP? Well, Joe Burrow, obviously, his stats would have been different, but up to the point of the end of the game, he's 22 at 33, 263 in the air, one touchdown, took seven sacks. 101 rating, but 39.7 QBR on ESPN. I think the case would be made for Joe Mixon, right? 15 carries, 72 rushing yards, and then he had the passing touchdown, right? So, I don't know. Mixon was pretty dynamic, man. But you could also make the case for, well, I was going to say Hendrickson, but I guess the stats really weren't as impactful as I thought. Were in two tackles, one sack, but he was around the ball a lot. But do you give it to Burrow for default, like a Cooper Cup where And Cooper Cup showed out. I'm not discrediting Cooper Cup. I love the guy and we won some money off him. But I'm saying like the fact that Burrow, if you actually didn't vote for the MVP till right before the Super Bowl, you probably would give it to him, honestly. So even though we had an average game, if the... Here's the thing. If the Bengals defense stopped the Rams, Bengals get the ball, just run out the clock, who wins it? I think you could argue Joe Mixon. Now, if the Bengals, or if the Rams scored, Bengals either tie the game, win it in overtime, or you get a game-winning drive for a touchdown, it's got to be Joe Burrow, right? Because he's inevitably, you're assuming, throwing that touchdown to win the game. So I don't know. I thought it was interesting to pose that conversation, but I think there could have been a case made for Joe Mixon for sure. A little, a little salty though about the Aaron Donald. I'm sorry. I'll give it up. I'll give it a rest. We still made money. We gotta be happy about it with the Cooper Cup. But man, Aaron Donald, eighteen one. I just got. Give me one day to be to be mad about it. That's all. Um, okay. Watching that game last night. What did that make you feel about this Bears team? What did that tell you the Bears need to do? Need to aspire to get and need to target this offseason? Well, first things first. Obviously, offensive line is huge. But we've known that, and we've wanted that for the Bears. But I think in terms of where you can look in the draft and where you can look to build, first of all, I mean, you trust what Poles is going to do as a former offensive lineman, what he was able to build after the Kansas City loss in the Super Bowl two years ago. And then what they did this year, despite them not being there, the offensive line got a lot better. So I trust him. Okay. Aside from that, you need skilled players. You need differences or you need differences in terms of like players who can make the big differences in the game i guess is what i'm trying to say and that would be a guy like a cooper cup you're not going to get a cooper cup that is understood but a guy like jamar chase you're probably not going to get a guy like jamar chase but those two guys are the main reasons both teams have had success the whole year and in the postseason jamar chase had a really good game five catches 89 yards t higgins had two touchdowns 100 yards four catches I guess you could make the case for T. Higgins to win MVP for sure. But again, you know, Cooper Cup was the reason in the second half the Rams were able to have offense and move the ball down the field. And you look at how the Chiefs have success offensively, a guy like Tyree Kill, a guy like Travis Kelsey, a speedy guy like McCole Hardman or Byron Pringle. You look at Stefan Diggs with the Bills. Uh, even, uh, what's his face, Cole Beasley is impactful on that team. Gabriel Davis, like, they have playmakers who are receivers. And if you have a mobile of enough quarterback, you can get by with an average to below average offensive line. Obviously, you want a great one and need it. Don't get me wrong. But at this point in the NFL, I think it's clear that the most important thing, aside from having a great quarterback, is getting him a receiver or receivers to pair with. Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Debo Samuel, Jimmy Garoppolo, Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb. Although he didn't use them too much, but Dalton Schultz, um, again, with Stefan Diggs, Gabriel Davis, Dawson Knox. I mean, Cole Beasley, you have star-studded receiving cores with these top teams. And even the Cardinals. I mean, look, they got Rondell Moore, speedy guy. You have DeAndre Hopkins. You have Christian Kirk. You have A.J. Green. That is the position the Bears need to utilize this offseason and aspire to stack now they had a decent receiving core at least I thought going into this year because Demir Bird not too shabby and then I don't know why uh, another name is evading me but they had at least solid enough guys to be somewhat decent obviously Allen Robinson had no impact and I wasn't expecting him to be that bad but I didn't think he'd have a great year but you need to get someone in the draft. You need to try to sign or trade for one of these top guys. I mean, Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, rumblings because of Getsy, Will that come to fruition? I'm sure they'll get someone because of it. I wouldn't hold my breath assuming it's Devontae Adams. But the Bears will definitely target that in the offseason. And if anything showed throughout the course of this postseason, it's that that is a necessity. Same with building your defensive line up front, which the Bears have. You just need to stay healthy. Good corners. Rams have good corners. Ramsey didn't have the best game, but they showed up when they needed most with their pass deflections and the pass rush. Bears, well, you got Jalen Johnson, but aside from that, Eddie Jackson needs to get back to being a stud. Had an okay season, but he gets burned a lot. And you saw Eli Apple cause a lot of mistakes for the Bengals last night. Very important position in just getting pressure on the quarterback. So I think defensively, you gotta add someone in the secondary. You're pretty much fine. All throughout the like linebacker, I think you're fine. Defensive line, I think you're fine. But the secondary is an issue. And then obviously a receiver and building that offensive line. Running back room, you are filled. Tariq Cohen, I, look, you're not going to need him too much. I don't even know what his situation is going to be. But the point is you need someone to help Fields create big plays. Fields can't be scrambling all the time. You need a speedy receiver, an elusive one, a great route runner. That is Jamar Chase, powerful, speedy, and elusive. That is Cooper Cup, dynamic, very intelligent, great route runner. Darnell Moody's a solid receiver, but he's not on that level. And frankly, neither is Allen Robinson. So that's what the Bears need to target this offseason. And I have faith that the front office will look to do so. But that's what that game made me realize. But what it also made me realize is that if the Bengals could do what they did, turning around a 180 that quickly, the Bears should be able to make the postseason this upcoming year. I'm dead serious. And I've been saying it. This team could be like what the Eagles did this past season. Good enough to just get in. Sure. Are they going to make any impact after that? You know, probably not. But the NFC a lot more open than the AFC. I'll tell you that right now. So there is some hope. But that's what that game should tell you and this postseason overall for what the Bears need to look to do. All right, let's talk some sports ongoing right now in Chicago. Spurs going on the road against the Bulls. Tough spot for the Bulls here, honestly, because Zach Levine's still going to be out. He will not be playing until after the All-Star. I mean, let's just say that I hope his knee isn't that bad of an... it. My, my God, if we lose Zach Levine, I'm going to lose myself. But this line open five, it's gone down to three in the hookup at Bett Rivers. Total at 234.5. Hasn't moved too much. Uh, Moneyline minus 167 for Chicago. The Spurs plus 138. So again with Levine, he's going or went to see a specialist in Los Angeles to maybe get surgery or get surgery. I I haven't looked too deep into it because frankly, I just am afraid to see how bad it could be. And then I'm going to start crying if we get another injury. But uh, looking more so at this game and trying to block that out of our heads. So no Levine. Derrick Jones Jr. is probable. Javante Green is questionable. If you can't get Javante Green, this is going to be tough, actually. But it opened five. Again, the money's been going to the Spurs, and I get why. San Antonio beat this Bulls team when they had relatively healthy, meaning that they had Zach Levine. They won, uh, what was the score of that game? I don't know why I didn't write that down. But they won by, like, double digits in San Antonio. The Spurs are on a two-game winning streak. They won at New Orleans, won at Atlanta. Bulls are on a three-game winning streak. Not pretty per se. The Charlotte game was solid. Minnesota game was solid. OKC game, my God, way closer than it should have been. That was without Zach Levine, but that was at home against one of the worst teams in the league. And now you get a Spurs team that already handled you pretty well. Although you match up decently. But man, that Spurs team can come alive from time to time. So here's the reason why I don't. Doubt that the Bulls can still win this game, but I agree that the Spurs line movement in their way makes sense. So look, the Bulls rank third in offensive points per possession uh, at 114.4 per game. The Spurs are 18th in defensive points per 100 possessions at 112. Bulls are 4th in offensive effective field goal percentage, 55%. San Antonio, 17th in defensive points per 100 possessions, 53.3%. Bulls also have the advantage in the half court set, 3rd in offensive points per play, Sacramento 19th defensively. But the Spurs, where they thrive, actually transition defense, they are numero uno in defensively, or excuse me, offensively, they're 11th, whereas the Bulls are 24th defensively in transition. They got some good guys. I mean, Pirtle's obviously a stud. Some of the Bulls were looking to get. Would have been fantastic. He went off against the Bulls. 21 points, 11 rebounds, 4 assists. More on him in a minute. DeJounte Murray went off. Keldon Johnson did really good. And even Doug McDermott was contributing against the Bulls. And he could contribute a lot tonight considering how bad the Bulls are at defending the three-point range. Dougie McBuckets could have a night. But again, if Javante Green is out, that's going to be even more problematic for the Bulls in a game where they're already having some issues in terms of matching up well with the Spurs, with Levine being out. So normally I would look at this game and go, this could be a good spot for Chicago, like against the Timberwolves. Yes, the spread is coming against them, but a team that's equal or inferior to them, take advantage of the smaller money line price, right? But because of Levine being absent, I'm just not fully there against the Spurs squad. So I'll probably hold off on that. But I do want to tell you the route that I am taking for betting this game. And Jakob Pirtle, that's who I'm going with, man. His points prop is 12 and a half tonight. I'm not betting this, but I just want to throw some of them out. His points prop, 12 and a half, excuse me, minus 112 each way. He's gone over 12 and a half points in 26 out of 47 games. Pretty good. Pretty good. He had 21 points against the Bulls. 9-12 from the floor. 3-5 of from free throw. 11 rebounds, 4 assists, 21 points. Rebounds prop, 8.5 over, even money, under, minus buck 27. he He's gone over this mark in 28 out of 47 games as compared to the 26 for the points. Even money to the over, very, very attractive. Don't get me wrong. What about the combination bet? Under the player specials tabs at BetRivers, you can bet his points, rebounds, and assists combined. 23 in the hook is the number, minus 121 is the price to the over, and I bet the over here. So he's averaging overall this season 13 points per game, 9 rebounds, and about 3 assists per contest. He's gone over this mark also in 28 out of 47 games. Obviously got over this against the Bulls, almost got over it with just his points. So you could go, well, Danny, why wouldn't you just bet his points over 12 and a half? Because realistically, even though he did great against the Bulls and it is a favorable matchup, yes, I completely lean to the over, but he's not necessarily the most consistent score, right? I mean, to rely on him, he goes off in certain matchups. And I know this is one of them but I feel a little bit more confidence with the combination considering maybe he gets like 10, 11, 12 points. And then you're like, well, crap. I mean, he missed it, but he also maybe had 13, 14 rebounds. All right. Well, Danny, why aren't you doing rebounds over eight and a half? Well, same thing. I mean, what if he gets 15 points and then stays under with like eight rebounds, seven rebounds, something like that. Look, I lean over for everything here for Pirtle, but I think at the end of the day, I like the combination aspect in case he does one way more so than the other. So that's why I'm doing points, rebounds, and assists over 23 and a half. If you take over 12 and a half points, do not disagree with that at all. Same thing with the rebounds. And it was between the rebounds and the points, rebounds, and assists because the over on the rebounds at even money is very, very attractive. So I would probably go in order points, rebounds, and assists, rebounds, then points. But I do think it's a great spot for all of those to go over. But again, I like the combination factor. Despite having to lay a little bit at minus 121, I'm feeling pretty good about that. The other one that I tagged along with it, what about the odds for Pirtle to record a double-double? I figured it'd be plus money, but you know maybe not too much considering the favorable matchup against Vooch who struggles against opposing big men such as Pirtle, which we have seen consistent, which we have made a profit on consistently. So like, all right, maybe it'll be like, you know, plus 125, plus 150 if they're generous. Bet Rivers has it plus 220. You can bet Pirtle to get a double-double against the Bulls tonight at plus 220. He's gotten a double-double 18 times this season. So no, not as much as the other categories, but he did get it against the Bulls, right? I mean, he had a great game against the Bulls, 21 points and 11 rebounds. And even a more depleted Bulls team without Levine, not that Levine's going to be guarding him, But Vooch is gonna be having a lot more stress put on him offensively to where that could tire him out defensively and Pearl could absolutely crash the boards a lot more so and just take advantage down low in the post. So considering that and considering the value, it's hard to not take that, folks. And you don't have to do your standard unit play. You could toss like half a unit or so. That's more so what I did. But I just this value is way too hard to pass up. So give me Pearl to record a double-double Yes, plus 220 and over points, rebounds, and assists, 23 and a half, minus 121. Need a big game out of Pirtle. Not good enough to beat the Bulls, but good enough to hit these bets for us, buddy. But I do think he's got a favorable matchup and can get both of those against Vuce and company. All right, let's talk about this Blackhawks and Jets game very quickly because nothing too interesting about it per se. But Winnipeg open about minus 155, Chicago open plus 140. Currently at Bet Rivers, you're seeing Winnipeg minus 165, Chicago plus 138, total at 5.5, shaded to the over minus 122. Blackhawks coming off a 5-1 loss at St. Louis on Saturday. Jets coming off a 5-2 win at Nashville on Saturday. Winnipeg beat the Blackhawks earlier this season 5-1 back on November 5th. I believe it was at home for Winnipeg. And that night, the Jets had a 33-18 shot advantage and what was the Blackhawks' lowest shots total of the season up until this past Saturday when they played the St. Louis Blues. Now, Chicago's also allowed at least one power, pull, uh, power play goal in seven of their last eight games, killing off only 16 to 25 penalties in that span. Yikes. This Blackhawks team is a mess. You know it, we know it, everybody knows it. Jonathan Tate's still going to be out. Uh, Ellers for Winnipeg going to be out. And it is the Jets' third game in four days. But how can you trust the Blackhawks, guys? He can't. And I think this is actually a relatively lower price on Winnipeg. I wanted like 160 or lower, and I'm going to shop around a little bit to see and wait to see where this number goes. I just can't foresee the Blackhawks winning this game. Edmonton's in a playoff race. They got some momentum, and they did have a day off last night. So, I like Winnipeg in this game a lot. Marc Andre Fleury is going to be in the net again, 15, 17, and 3, 2.94 goals against average, 91% with his saves. On the road, he's done a little bit better than at the UC. He's 9, 8, and 1, 2.7 goals against average, with a save percentage of 91.6%. Hellebuck, um, he is 16, 15, and 7. Counter Hellebuck, that is, if he's going to be in net. 2.83 2.83 goals against average, three shutouts, 91% save. Flurry also has three shutouts, but um, at home, Hellebuck 2.7 goals against average, nine seven and one, 91 and a half save percentage, one shutout. Hellebuck's been pretty suboptimal this season, I guess you could say subpar, whatever. He hasn't been great. But I think this is the stretch where he's going to start to pick it up slowly. And against the Blackhawks, I think they're going to make him look like a superstar again. So I'm probably going to end up playing the Jets. Again, I'm going to wait to see where this line goes. But more than likely, I will look to attack Winnipeg against the Blackhawks here. If any, it's more of a fade on Chicago than it is of trusting Winnipeg naturally. This, to me, should be priced more so about like 170. And then I would go. Too expensive, no thank you. But if we see the 160 out there or less, hard to not look to attack Winnipeg. And you know what? We could, of course, wait for an in-game bet. Maybe Chicago keeps it close. Maybe Chicago takes an early lead, but they'll find a way to blow it. They'll find a way to shoot themselves in the foot, and Winnipeg will get the dub because they need it against a weaker team at home to keep getting in that playoff contention. So Winnipeg probably wins this game and I will probably get involved. But overall, as of now, my two best bets are Pirtle to record a double-double at plus 220 and then Pirtle over 23.5 points, rebounds, and assists at the price of minus 121, courtesy of Bet Rivers. That's going to do it for another edition of the Chicago City Cast presented by Bette Rivers. Thank you to everybody for tuning in. Again, hopefully, you had a profitable Super Bowl Sunday and you enjoyed it with your family and your friends. And now we can look forward to what the Bears are going to do this offseason. Some early Super Bowl futures odds once those get posted or more. So once I have time to kind of still process what happened yesterday, and then we will get into those markets. The way too early preview of who has good value to win Super Bowl 57. But it was a fun game yesterday. Again, hopefully you had a good time yourself. Hopefully we have a good time watching this Bulls game tonight. I was going to say for the Blackhawks, but if I'm fading them, eh, well, you know, and I don't want to root against them because you guys are going to get mad at me. But again, we like to look at it from the objective standpoint. Just saying, but let's go Bulls, let's go Purtle, and let's go for making some money tonight on our bets, folks. All right, we'll catch up again tomorrow. Until then, take care. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This